Hey guys, welcome to the Abe Summer Series, a nine episode series dedicated to energy and recovery. I'm your host, Paula Glover, President and CEO of the American Association of Blacks and Energy. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. For all things Abe, visit us at aabe.org and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's topic today is sustainability practice understanding environmental, social, and governance applications in the energy industry and its implications um, for markets. We've got three terrific speakers. Our first, Rose McKinney-James, Managing Principal for McKinney-James and Associates and Energy Works LLC. Those of you who are familiar with Rose probably know that she is our chair emeritus for the association, and she is currently serving as chair of the Energy Foundation. Let me tell you a little bit about Rose. Rose is the former president and CEO for the Corporation for Solar Technology and Renewable Resources, and she is former commissioner with the Nevada Public Service Commission. She's also served as Nevada's first director of the Department of Business and Industry. She's an experienced and accomplished small business leader, clean energy advocate and independent corporate director with an extensive history in public service, private sector corporate sustainability, social impact and nonprofit volunteerism. Rose is currently the managing principal of Energy Works LLC and McKinney James and Associates. Her firms provide business consulting services and advocacy in public affairs, energy policy, strategy and economic and sustainable development. Ms. McKinney-James has over two decades of experience in advocacy in legislative and utility regulatory proceedings relative to renewable and clean energy policy and community and stakeholder outreach in Nevada and the United States. Please join me in welcoming Ms. Rose McKinney-James. Our next speaker, Ms. Glenn Mizell, Vice President of Sustainability and Electrification for Ameren. Glenn, in her role, will leverage more than th her 32 years in the industry to lead Ameren's efforts to develop strategies and policies for efficient electrification, excuse me, programs that benefit customers, the environment, and the company. She's going to retain her responsibilities for Ameren's corporate social responsibility efforts, which she has overseen in her previous role as Senior Director of Corporate Social Responsibility. Gwen joined Ameren as Director of Diversity and Inclusion in 2015. She holds a master's degree in management and public policy analysis from Carnegie Mellon University and a bachelor's degree in material science and engineering from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Beyond her accomplishments and her work within the St. Louis community, Gwen is also the vice president of the local chapter of the American Association of Blacks and Energy and is executive director of the Mizell Legacy Foundation. Our next speaker, Mr. Jonathan Firestein, founder, Purpose Capital Advisors. Jonathan, through Purpose Capital Advisors, works with mission-driven organizations, wealth management firms, family offices, and foundations to expand efforts in impact investing and private capital for investment success and business growth. Purpose helped Purpose Seeking Capital make private capital and impact investments that directly connect with the capital owner's goals. Wealth management firms partner with Purpose to retain clients, pursue prospects, and enhance the client experience by deploying strategies for impact investing and private capital. While at Abbott Downing as a director of research, private capital, and impact investing, 
Jonathan established private capital and impact, excuse me, investing recommendation platforms. He led platform developments for private capital and impact investment funds, enabling custom portfolio mixes of equities, fixed income, private equity, private debt, real estate, and real asset strategies. And finally, our moderator, Mr. Anuj A. Shaw, Managing Director for KKS Advisors. Anuj is Managing Director for KKS Advisors, a firm focused on sustainability strategy whose vision is to reshape markets. Based in Boston, Massachusetts, he leads business development and operational activities in the U.S. with a focus on ESG and impact investing integration, impact measurement and management, and corporate sustainability strategy. Anoush also works with the global KKS team on strategic planning, product development, and thought leadership. Prior to KKS, Anoush was the founder and managing director of Linear Impact Partners, a firm that developed sustainable investing strategies and business development solutions aimed at unlocking more capital towards positive social and environmental outcomes. His client work was primarily focused on the integration of impact investing business models, product design and distribution, and investor education and engagement. And with that, I turn the floor over to Anoush, and I'm looking forward to this wonderful discussion. Anoush. Same. Thank you very much, Paula, and thank you to everyone at APE for organizing this summer series and specifically um, for today's session on ESG and sustainability. Um, you know, I wanted to introduce the panel today and, and sort of talk about the fact that what, what, what we're seeing and, and certainly the evolution of ESG and sustainability is rooted really in individuals and, and the change that individuals like to see or wish to see. And this takes many forms. Um, and there are many topics and many categories that things people want to see change in from climate change to the adoption of clean energy to using natural resources, more responsibility. Um, individuals also, also seek to bring about a fairer and better world by enhancing access to education, employment, and basic needs such as clean water, food, and transportation. And they also aspire to raise corporate standards in areas such as transparency and accountability, as well as in management and workforce diversity. So enter ESG, right? So environmental, social, and governance factors once considered a niche area of investing or of even corporate strategy, it has certainly entered the mainstream. Um, and in today's discussion and with our distinguished panelists today, we're gonna explore a, a, a number of different topics, um, particularly ESG's significance and relevance in corporate governance structures, business strategy, and also how investors see ESG. We will also specifically turn to the energy sector um, to see how they are responding um, and exploring whether environmental justice and diversity and inclusion issues and goals fit within ESG and sustainability initiatives. So with that, I would love to start with defining um, and getting a better understanding from each of our panelists of what is ESG? Um, how do you think about ESG um, within your specific role? Um, even more broadly speaking, um, and do you think that there's actually a consensus with your colleagues in your industry around what ESG is? Um, let's start with Rose. 
Well, thank you. I, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to begin with some framing. Let me do so by um, saying that I will speak through the lens of my uh, current capacity as a corporate board member and the chair of our Corporate Social Responsibility Committee, which has oversight for our ESG work. So for me, it has provided sort of a pathway to some alignment uh, to capture very important non-financial aspects of our operations. Uh, in the hotel and hospitality, uh, entertainment area, uh, sustainability is a fairly broad, uh, broadly uh, understood concept that will focus on our ability to um, identify opportunities to increase uh, renewable energy, to revisit our uh, decisions around food and supply chain issues. It also helps us to frame our philanthropy in terms of our social impact, where we conduct business. So for me, it is a way to um, really zero in on those strategic considerations within our business that provide us with a, uh, a way to create a narrative for our presence uh, in all aspects of our, our business. And I think um, the emphasis for us is on governance because the reporting and disclosure uh, requirements that we deal with uh, uh, require us then to have our team gather data in a very special way in order to be both compliant and responsive to uh, those reporting requirements. So that's sort of generally what, what it means to me, I, an opportunity. Yeah, thanks, Rose. I, I, I want to come back uh, a little bit later to a couple of the, the, the points that you mentioned, particularly around you know, this, this confluence of CSR, corporate social responsibility initiatives, and ESG, environmental, social, and governance initiatives, and sort of the blending of that and what that means specifically for, for some of the work that you're doing. Um, Gwen, I would love to turn to you next and, and, and again, sort of lay, set the table with your understanding of ESG, how it applies in your role um, today. Sure, sure. Thank you, Anoush and, and, and Rose for kicking us off. Um, uh, happy to be here today and uh, always happy to talk about this topic. Um, when, when I start to think about ESG, I can never completely go there without starting with a, a discussion around sustainability. And so um, my role has morphed from uh, leading corporate social responsibility, which I think has something of a narrower focus, which is more around kind of being a good corporate citizen, the philanthropy, the volunteerism, to an expanded role in June of last year to lead sustainability and electrification. And I think that push to formalize that um, a department that focuses on sustainability was very impactful. And I think it was also a nod to the fact that sustainability is a much broader concept and touches much more of the business than just the philanthropy and the volunteerism that they're actually ties to the business. So we have placed my role in squarely in our corporate strategy and innovation group that allows me to develop a strategy that easily aligns with our corporate strategy. And being an officer of the company, it also says 
that that's an important role being led by an officer of a company. But let me take a quick step back. So when I define sustainability, I think about it, it being those policies, practices, initiatives that we put in place that will say that we are making good decisions now for the way our company will operate today in 2020. But we're also not going to jeopardize the longevity and the future vitality of our company. I like to say that Ameren's a hundred year old company and we'd like to be around for another hundred years. The, the policies, the practices, the initiatives, the efforts that we put in place will determine whether or not in, in sustainability will determine whether or not that is indeed the case. So when I think about ESG as how that relates to sustainability, I make it analogous almost to a credit rating. The E, the S, the G, that's the way that we get rated on sustainability practices. And so the E being environmental and in the energy industry coming from a utility company that provides electric and gas services in Missouri and Illinois, but with a large coal portfolio, my environmental concerns are decarbonization, climate risks, uh, waste management, environmental justice. But then there's that S element that is growing in importance that includes diversity and inclusion. What are you doing to empower and build your communities, your customers and your communities? What are you doing for your workforce diversity um, as well as data privacy? And then you've got the G element, which I think just overlays everything. And it just says you have a structure in place that provides for good oversight. And so you have to have a diversity of, of thought, of gender, of race, of generation, of experience that's providing that oversight and certainty that you're doing what you say you're doing. So I think ESG is the measurement tool. And under that, there are different facets. But, and just to kind of circle back real quick, Anuja, and I'm taking up a little bit of time, but, no um, but um, when you ask, is this consistent, is the way people think about ESG consistent across venues, I think strongly not. Yeah. And therein lies a challenge. People think about uh, different facets for environmental, different facets for social, different facets for governance. There's no consistency in how it's measured and ranked which is a challenge and the, the data flows from companies that are data gatherers many times are inaccurate or incomplete, uh, but yet they are forming the basis for reputations and perceptions of how we are viewed, which could impact cash flow, could impact access to capital, which for utilities is huge. So that's kind of the way that I think about ESG in the construct of sustainability. Great. That was really fantastic. And I'm going to turn to Jonathan now and sort of summarize some of Rose's and, and Gwen's remarks. I think what they have noted is that sustainability has now firmly uh, been embedded with business strategy, corporate strategy across an organization. We're also sort of seeing that ESG is aligned to long-term-ism, long-term thinking. Um, this conflicts, I would say, at least the latter conflicts in some ways with the investors and asset managers that you work with, Jonathan. So from an ESG perspective, how are investors and asset managers and wealthy people um, who are interested in sustainability, how are they viewing the space? 
um, are they specifically seeing that this is a way for us to gain exposure to corporates that have good long-term-ism um, embedded within their corporate strategy and ESG is a part of that? That's certainly central to uh, the philosophy. And, you know, as I've been listening to our conversation, boy, the alphabet soup of being yeah. a responsible, sustainable, impact investor, utilizing ESG, quantitative and qualitative analysis to determine which companies you want to align your capital with. Um, all of them mean something slightly different, but at its highest level, it means that instead of just considering traditional risk and expected return and their relationship, I as an investor am also considering something else. The impact that that company has on the environment, it's, it's a, the society it serves and occupies, and also it's corporate governance. And um, the way in which an investor can arrive at determining that ESG is important, that that company is a, um, is a strong performer or less so, there are so many roads to get there. But in the end, the very first like, fork in the road is truly, do I want to consider something beyond risk and return? ESG in particular is the um, landscape of public companies. Gwen's talked about all the data that's gathered um, and that comes, it's quantitative data and it comes from public companies. It's less available with private companies. And so a responsible, a social and impact investor, what they're looking at, what they're doing in private companies is different. And so the first uh, meta point I wanted to make Anuj is that uh, ESG is really one tactic that's used for the overall strategy of being a responsible, sustainable, or impact investor, which for, for the fine-tuned, those things mean something different, but at its highest level, it literally looks at, I'm looking at something beyond risk and expected return. Great, that's, that's uh, certainly my understanding as well, and, and from my background, that is what I've seen. There's an evolution, but certainly around the impact side, um, there's, a, there's an interesting sort of development over the last few years. Um, Gwen, I'd like to come back to you and speak specifically um, around what we're seeing on the environmental side. You had mentioned um, that, you know, coal burning plants uh, and sort of carbon emissions and reducing carbon emissions uh, is part of, of what your organization is looking at doing. What are the drivers of that? I mean, you work for a publicly traded firm. Um, you have shareholders uh, that certainly measure success based on uh, the share price and, and profits and profitability. Um, what type of data do you consume and do your colleagues consume internally to look at sustainability measures. You had mentioned that some of the data, at least from a data provider perspective, what they're scraping from organizations is sometimes flawed or doesn't tell the full picture. So I'm curious about what those discussions are internally around the data. Would you look at a trade-off and say, well, coal is cheap and renewable energy sources are expensive, but this is a better thing for us to do because our stakeholders expect us to do it. How, how does that play out within the org? So Anuj, as you might imagine, there's a lot of uh, tension around those discussions because we do have to be at the behest of a number of different stakeholders, um, you know, environmentalists and those socially responsible investment firms have certainly started to 
coalesce and have become adroit and making their voices heard, you know, entities like Midwest Advisory Services, you know, uh, as we sow, different entities have come together and have learned the fine art of advocacy. And they, they do it really well. And so when I think about um, the thing, so I would take a step back and say that we look at a number of things that would drive us to feel that we need to address sustainability. And so there's been a study that was done by Harvard Business School that looked at uh, about just under 200 companies over about a decade and pretty much returned the results that the half of those companies that were good sustainability practitioners consistently outperformed the ones who were not. Um, and, and then you also look at other studies done by McKinsey that specifically looks at diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workforce, and that being a determinant of good financial performance. Those who are better DNI performers generally perform better from a financial perspective. But as I'll go back to the fact that we are a utility with a heavy coal portfolio. And so one of the biggest things that we have been and continue to look at is how do we best uh, return value for our shareholders, but how do we decarbonize as rapidly and as affordably as we possibly can while keeping that main goal of keeping system reliability, which is our obligation. Right. We always have a reliable system, but we always also have customers that have pocketbook constraints, so affordability, but we've got to return that shareholder return so that we continue to get that investment. But we also need to decarbonize. And we know that we've invested in a number of assets, many of which are older than 50, 60 years old. And so to just shut those down right now and bring on renewables, although they're cheaper, they're starting to be cheaper, battery prices are uncertain. Um, we have put a lot of thought into how we go through that process as, as a part of our integrated resource plan. And so we're in the midst of updating that plan this year, but as of 2017, we had committed to 80% carbon reductions by 2050. And now that looks antiquated because with all the pressures from the IPCC reports, all the pressures from investors, the BlackRock letter, the State Street letters, basically saying, look, if you don't do something with decarbonization, with sustainability, we will vote against management, we will withdraw, you know, we'll, we will divest. There are a number of threats that you all know. I'm sure you all know right. all these threats that if you don't uh, pay attention to sustainability, that those things will happen. So a part of my job is raising the uh, transparency and the, the visibility on the fact that we cannot be a, a one-trick pony, that we have to pay attention to all of these different constituencies. So even when you think about um, our, our shareholders, um, EEI came together and brought a group of utilities together to put a template together on ESG so that our investors can consume ESG data consistently across utilities. So the EEI ESG template is a thing that's been in place for a couple of years. Um, so I would just say, you know, we've got our, we've got governance issues, we've got our customers and communities that let's not forget, they need reliability, but they also need low cost energy 
and they need help with jobs, they need help with educational support. Uh, those are things that we're being looked to, even though many times we think that's not our day job. Right. We also have to pay attention to all those things. That's really interesting, and I think it's a good segue uh, back to you, Rose. Um, so Gwen had mentioned um, the Larry Fink's letter, right? The Larry Fink is the CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, um, pretty active in the sustainability and ESG space, at least verbally. Um, and he, uh, in his CEO letter uh, this year, earlier this year, noted that he will hold corporate boards accountable uh, for sustainability measures. You have significant experience at the corporate governance level, at the board level. Um, and I'm curious, how, how is a letter like that received um, within the, the, the boards that you serve on? Um, what is the action uh, that they take as a result, if any? Um, what's the conversation? Bring us into the boardroom. Um, of what's the conversation when you see that, you feel the pressure from various other investors, um, and what Gwen has also described is a multi-stakeholder model, right, where we're sort of seeing shareholder and the primacy of shareholders um, come down a bit, or at least be starting to be more equally weighted um, with employees and also in which the communities where these businesses serve. So I'm, I'm curious to hear how, how um, the board um, thinks about these types of issues as well. Well, you know, Anuja, I think it's uh, really interesting to think about the impact of a letter coming from a Larry Fink. Uh, just given the size and scope of his investment portfolio, I think most boards certainly pay attention to a communication from someone of that stature. And this is not his first letter. He has been engaged in this conversation and has been very vocal around communicating uh, his thoughts in, in this arena. I found it to be helpful in terms of spurring additional conversation at the board level and maybe helping um, to provide some clarity around the mission of, of my, my committee. I think boards um, have a responsibility and an obligation to try to manage expectations. The emphasis historically has been on our shareholders, our investors. The Fink letter suggests that we should broaden that scope and that while investors are incredibly uh, important, that the stakeholder uh, community should be broadened to include those aspects of uh, communities where we conduct our business. So it's given us an opportunity at least for uh, the boards on which I serve, to think a little differently about how we um, structure our ESG activities. I think um, when investors step up and when they put their resources behind their views, uh, and as Gwen has described it, you know, help to sort of create some pressure uh, through this type of advocacy, uh, you see uh, a, a different uh, sort of vantage point stemming from the, from the boardroom. So we are striving to uh, determine the best way to measure and to uh, collect the data that is important to us uh, in all three of these areas. Because as I mentioned in my 
uh, opening statement, we are responding to uh, a need to report this and to disclose it in a way that uh, can be viewed by investors and the broader stakeholder community as they rate us in that regard. So those ratings become important. That certainly gets the attention of the board. Most boards are structured uh, with an audit committee who focuses on the financial information. The GovNAM committee is focused on governance. So there's a tremendous amount of overlap when it comes to ESG in terms of the board conversation. Uh, recently, I think just this month, the, um, the Global Reporting Initiative and SASB, the Sustainability uh, uh, Group, announced a collaboration. Part of the challenge for a board member and for those that are providing this information is having clarity and consistency around the nature and scope of the information that is, that's required. In many instances, companies are doing great work, but they haven't captured it in a way that allows them to be responsive. So I think that having the voice of an investor of the stature of Larry Fink and others, uh, the Business Roundtable has taken a view on this. There are a variety of, of uh, important voices that are engaged in this conversation making sure that we are being responsive, that we're standing up um, a framework to address these issues becomes a critical issue for the board in its oversight role. Yeah, so Jonathan, that, that's almost a, a perfect segue, I think, in, in, into you. So um, Rose has described you know, a, a couple of you know, uh, alphabet soup uh, organizations as well, SASB and GRI. Um, and what they do is they um, look at and help organizations and even investors and corporates uh, identify what their material ESG issues are. Gwen had referred to a Harvard Business School study um, that basically said that if investors or, or corporates actually focus on their material ESG issues, they outperform. Um, so from an investor perspective, how do they consume this data? Where is, where is this data located? How does it um, get integrated into investment decision-making processes? And, and are we really seeing from the investor point of view, Larry uh, Fink obviously represents uh, uh, one of the, the, the world's largest investor, um, but those, those firms are made up of individual investors and, and their assets and institutions. So how, how are that, how are they considering sustainability and ESG practices and in investment decision-making? What signals are they looking for? You have to take your question and actually separate it into two. Larry Fink and BlackRock, they're an investment firm. Investment firms like BlackRock interface with advisory firms that work with clients and make decisions on that level. So there's actually two gates of decision-making to address your question. So first and foremost, let's continue talking about BlackRock. Uh, Larry's letter, um, just as Rose said, it's not the first time he's waded into this issue, but he carries, he and BlackRock, they're the largest asset manager in the world. They carry the biggest weight. Um, it's yet another indication on the timeline <clears throat> that interest, investor interest, and ultimately the importance of sustainability, conversation, awareness, and direct interaction with sustainability issues is only going one way increased up 
more. It's not a question as to whether this is becoming more interesting to those who actually buy the equity and debt of the public companies where many of you work. To that extent, um, I'll tell you at a private client level, when Larry Fink says, uh, stands up and says, if companies don't pay attention, I'm going to, we're going to use the power of BlackRock to help them pay attention, super powerful. So at the BlackRock level, at the investment firm level, you have portfolio managers that are doing one of two basic things. Either it's active management, such that all of us panelists here on the phone could theoretically be portfolio managers for a particular fund. And if our fund considers sustainability or ESG factors, then when we're deciding which companies to buy their stocks or bonds, we can evaluate that field of data and help, and that will help us make investment decisions. There are more passive-like strategies where people don't get together on every moment or every day to make decisions about a portfolio. That's sometimes called indexing. The reality is, is they set up a structure. You could call it an algorithm, but a structure that says, we're gonna invest in these types of companies through these filters. And they adjust those structures one to four times a year. You find these structures more often in ETFs than mutual funds. But in both cases, if the fund, the investment firm is considering ESG or sustainable data, it's coming into the investment decision point there. So include or exclude your company from that fund, the ESG data really, really matters. Right, now, so we're, we're the, sorry to cut you off there, Jonathan. It sounds like what you're saying is, is we're getting to a point where from an investor perspective, if you're not doing sustainability, right? I'm using air quotes. I don't know if it made it into the screen. Um, whatever that means for the organization, that investors are paying attention and are making investment decisions based on the fact whether you are actually um, sort of incorporating sustainability. Um, and I think that that's a sort of a, a, also a, a good segue, uh, maybe back to, to Gwen um, to start um, conscious of, of who we have as attendees today. Um, particularly the energy sector. So I want to spend some time on the energy sector itself. Um, you had noted, Gwen, a couple of, of the initiatives uh, at Ameren that you're, you're focused on. Um, maybe if we zoom out a little uh, on, on the broader uh, energy sector, um, what are some of the other practices um, that will help um, adopt um, or increase the adoption of renewables? What are some of the trends and technologies that you're seeing? Would you say that they are all part of sustainability? Um, when your organization is evaluating, you know, from an R&D standpoint, what you're looking at, do you knock anything out that doesn't have a sustainability lens uh, attached to it? Is it that embedded within the organization at this point? So, so I think, uh, Anuja, if you're uh, referencing kind of, you know, what we look at in terms of a solution set as we look at um, how we might be able to move forward with uh, producing and transmitting and distributing reliable energy that has the least amount of impact on the environment, I think we have teams of people who are constantly looking under basically turning over all the rocks to see what is it that we can do to add to that picture that continues to, you know, uh, 
uh, respond to our customer demand that continues to reduce our environmental impact, that continues to reduce our cost. Um, and so, and, and helps us to grow our company. So quite frankly, one of the big levers that we're looking at why we've paired sustainability and electrification is we look at electrification as one of those kind of silver bullets that if we can uh, push the adoption of electrification, it takes care of a number of issues. Uh, first of all, the transportation sector being the largest contributor to carbon now, even surpassing us as uh, power producers, uh, that was a huge deal. And so um, while we don't control the transportation sector as a utility, we certainly can impact the adoption of EVs and electrification through advocating for um, incentives to help build out charging infrastructure so that you take away the uncertainty of people saying, hey, I don't want to buy an EV because I don't know where the next charging station is. Uh, we recognize that one of the big challenges is that there's not a national program that puts charging stations consistently across the United States. And so as long as we're working on a state-by-state -state basis to electrify, uh, we'll have to rely on organizations that are looking more holistically at trying to build a network to help facilitate that adoption. So organizations like the Alliance for Transportation Electrification is working very closely with a lot of me and my peer utilities to help influence and impact local public service commissions to adopt uh, you know, regulatory policies that will help incentivize local adoption as well as, as looking at uh, kind of corridor charging programs that can transcend like through the Midwest and uh, create a pattern of charging stations such that you can uh, feel more confident as you adopt electrification. Are you seeing, Gwen, that industry regulators are supportive of ESG issues? Are they actually helping to drive those? And, and Rose, I'll also turn to you if you have a uh, experience with that as well. Sure, I would, so. Gwen, so, if you could start, yeah. Okay, so just quickly, and then I'll hand it over to Rose. So I would say that absolutely our, um, local public service commission in Missouri, the Illinois Commerce Commission. I think that you certainly find pockets of commissioners that are committed to things that uh, connect to sustainability. So for instance, as you start talking about uh, servicing vulnerable communities and ensuring that as we roll out new products and services, that they are equitable, that everyone can participate in those products. Um, I think that you can find alignment between some of those commissioners. I think you can find alignment when you start talking about electrification in particular, you actually find alignment with folks who are naturally more your adversaries in other situations. The Sierra Club uh, becomes our, becomes, you know, a part of our advocacy group when we talk about electrification, whereas in other respects, we're on opposite sides. So I think there's, there are good stories on some things that we particularly being in the electric power industry can do to not only benefit our own businesses, but benefit communities and environment and build some alliances that help to move some of these things forward for the good of us and, and our communities.
Yeah, yeah. and Rose, I'd love to turn to you. Um, your, your experience also with sort of the regulatory bodies that um, are, are sort of managing some of the, the, the businesses and the, the industries that you are exposed to. I'd also like to sort of start to turn our attention uh, a bit towards um, even sort of environmental justice issues and, and, and diversity inclusion. Um, you know, ESG is a lot of things as, as we've heard um, here. Um, and one of the things that we have been seeing at my firm over the last few months is that the S in ESG, as mentioned earlier, the social aspect of this has come to the forefront. Um, so again, Rose, sort of curious about how this is playing out. Um, ESG is dynamic, right? Um, so for everyone uh, on the chat today, that just means um, that what we consider important in, in from an ESG lens today may evolve or be different uh, tomorrow or even uh, months from now. Um, so Rose, how do you, from a corporate governance perspective, how do you stay on top of all of the different sort of pressures and voices coming, whether it's regulators, whether it's your investors, whether it's just sort of what's happening um, in the zeitgeist of, of, of the community? Um, how do you stay on top of that and how do you incorporate all of that? That's a, that's a, 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 a big, big question. question. Yes. Sorry. But let me just say that I think like anything that is important, uh, it is uh, maintaining uh, open lines of communication. Uh, uh, having relationships, I think, is a very important first step. You cannot uh, engage effectively unless you've done the outreach to have relationships and that the conversations are, are two-way. So let me just go put my, my former regulator hat on for just a quick second to say that I think regulators are continuing to try to do their work to focus on affordability, to focus on reliability and resilience. And they are now beginning to coalesce around uh, the notion of broadly decarbonization. In the state where I live in Nevada, uh, to Gwen's earlier point, that is all about decarbonization. And so there are a lot of um, uh, aspects of that conversation that have uh, some overlap with the, the corporate conversation. Uh, the board that I served on felt very strongly that we needed to procure our own clean energy, that we needed to control that independently, that we felt that the economics of it was uh, based on a decision that we should be making as a business. And so uh, we have uh, independently moved away from our investor-owned utility, sorry, Gwen, uh, to <laughs> procure uh, those resources on our own. Uh, we have built what I believe is a very strong uh, group within the company to address uh, environmental issues and to uh, provide oversight for not only the procurement of those resources, but we are also constructing a facility. So there is a desire, I think, to embrace ESG in a way that allows you to have sort of an independent state. We are uh, positioned as a, a global company. And so we work in a variety of communities with very different demographics. But the emphasis on S comes from the long-term commitment 
that is consistent with the name of the committee that I chair, which is Corporate Social Responsibility. So this goes beyond just philanthropy and what we consider our investments in our communities, but also ensuring that we're working as a positive influence because our employees, the the engine that drives our, our activity, are demanding that. Our investors are demanding it. And so we are obligated to, uh, to pay attention to, the, to those demands. And that's why ESG and the S part of that, the social impact, becomes so critical. Uh, we are actively engaged on a variety of levels given our, this incredible environment that we're in uh, that's created uh, huge issues beyond the health impacts, but food security. So we've been very creative and thoughtful in matching the nature of the work that we do with the need that we see in our community and uh, using that as a means of advancing our ESG work. So the S becomes very important. Social impact and social justice. Again, starting with our employees, gaining a sense of what is important to them and the changes that need to be made. One of the messages that I've received loud and clear from uh, the employees of the organizations where I I hold leadership roles is that it is important for organizations to get their house in order first, to focus on the internal culture, and then begin to have a conversation about what they want to do externally. So let me uh, leave it to others to weigh in further, but that is the perspective from, from my perch. It's really great to, to hear all of that, Rose. Um, Jonathan, I want to turn to you. I, I, again, I'll, I'll sort of summarize um, what I think we're hearing here is the role of a corporation in society um, certainly is changing. It, it's, it's evolving. Um, what we expect from our corporates um, in terms of their how they act in society and how they drive positive change um, is is here um, and we expect it um, and we have leaders on this call that are in those roles and are helping to affect that change uh, within the organizations that they help lead um, so Jonathan the question to you is are investors recognizing that are they shying away from that role that corporates have or are they embracing it um, or if they are embracing it, is it only a select number of, of investors that are embracing it? I think what we've talked about today is that there are benefits um, beyond just the shareholders, but also to employees and in the communities. Is that also creating value for the corporates and our investors um, seeing that as well? Yeah, I think so. And the, the element of who expects it, I really think is in three types of people or three classifications. Investors expect it. More and more investors expect it. Uh, there is a uh, networking or uh, industry organization called US SIF, which is SIF, so US SIF. And they've got the biggest count of all of the money that's gone into sustainable impact ESG funds. And it's just up and to the right. So t- do investors expect it? Well, money is flowing that way. But you know who else is, expects it? It's your customers and your employees. Right. 
because the reality is, is that the companies with the best ESG metrics, it's not just a bunch of fun numbers, that's real good company stuff, right? Well, those are the companies that are most likely to attract the best employees because people want to work there. And the best employees are most likely to create market leading products and services. And that is a recipe to outperform market benchmarks. Circling back to your question about investors, that's what investors want. So it's more than just investors want a warm fuzzy. There's real value creation here. And that's what we're all attempting to accomplish together. Right, that's a, a great way to, um, to summarize those, those thoughts as well. Um, I wanna turn in the time that we have left and um, to all of you and, and think about, again, this has been a uh, really eventful, uh, to say the least, last four months in, in, in this nation. Um, certainly there is some, uh, we hope, some, some positive uh, momentum for, for change. Uh, much needed and, and overdue change. Um, does ESG have a part to play in that? Um, will ESG solve um, or help us solve diversity and inclusion issues? Um, uh, you know, when we did also get a question around, um, you know, for the next generation uh, of, of, of individuals in this country, um, is ESG the hope? Is it the panacea? Um, you know, I, 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 I get concerned sometimes that we put too much weight on it. Um, but, but Gwen, would love, would love your thoughts uh, in the final few minutes that we have on that, and then I'll turn to the rest of you. Sure, sure. No, I, um, I tell you, I think if there's any time in history that ESG and sustainability issues are, uh, couldn't be more important, um, it's now you know, with, um, you know, the pandemic, with the ensuing economic malaise that we've seen with the civil unrest. I mean, the confluence of those three issues, um, I think are um, really, I mean, it's just impactful. And it leads most of us with a thinking about how is it that we will carry, how is it that we move forward? How, what is it that we do in order not to be in the same place in the future? And so, when I look at these things, I just think historically a lot of the solution sets have been relegated to governmental entities, to social service agencies, to charitable foundations and charitable organizations. And I think business has largely been absent. And so when you think about who runs businesses, who runs corporations, I heard Melody Hobson make a comment about, you know, business leaders are all stars. I mean, we know how to solve problems. We know how to get things done. There is no try. It is just get it done. So when I think about some of the underlying issues, really it's economics, it's access to jobs, it's access to opportunities, in particular for populations where there's been systematic discrimination with African-Americans. And so we as utilities, we as more broadly businesses, hold the key to not only jobs, as, as we strengthen our grid to allow additional renewables, we're creating jobs as we these good paying jobs in our utility, I mean, those are things that change people's lives and prospects. And when you can allow someone in your door to do business for you, a firm that maybe had two people 30 years ago, and now they're up to 150, you know, these small diverse businesses, now they're able to support 150 families. And then there's a domino effect that says, no, they really are, are supporting a thousand people in our economy. So when you think about our 
ability to really impact and influence change, if we take this and embrace it and really are serious about it, you know, outline what our true beliefs are and put actions behind our beliefs, not just platitudes, I just think this is one point in time where we can really make a difference and not be sitting in the same place as we are this time next year or even 10 years down the road. Hey, Rose. I really yeah, couldn't I was just going to turn more. to you. Is, I, 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 I just put a lens on it. Is it a fleeting moment or is, is this here to stay? It feels like a moment that is here to stay. I don't think uh, ESG is necessarily the panacea. I do agree that it is fluid. It is dynamic. But it's also bridging a very important moment. And I, I couldn't agree more with all of the points that, that Gwen articulated particularly underscoring the fact that it is a framing that allows us to turn internally to really revisit our systems to see where we have gaps as it relates to our social investments. And for our aid community and for the younger people who are looking to see how they're going to work their way through this incredible, you know, uh, overshadowing the time that we're living in, when we talk about our supplier diversity and we talk about our hiring practices, uh, having a voice and being persistent in making that a priority for business and, for, and, and business then being responsive, that could create the pivotal moment that we've all been looking for. But it does require that that companies or, or business is intentional, that they are intentional, that they are focused. Um, when I think you described ESG or someone described it as a measurement tool, we need to be measured. And I think the key word here is accountability. Yes. That's yes. Well I agree. said. Yeah. So Jonathan, um, you know, hearing those remarks, um, investors have a massive role to play here as well. Right. Um, so, Rose has just mentioned intent. Um, how are investors measuring intent, right? And and are there is there more information that corporates can provide them to show and demonstrate that the intent is there? Um, so how do you think about that? Well, I think uh, we didn't need the events of 2020 to um, highlight that corporates can no longer be asleep at the wheel. That happened a few years ago. So everyone's kind of into it now. And now it's this element as to how can we make business improvements and business decisions for the future that will improve not only the absolute rating of ESG, but this is very important for you all in the energy industry, relative rating. Um, yes, there's much more environmental liabilities in your business than there is in a tech business. But the reality is, is that many impact or sustainable investors invest across all sectors. So they're not just comparing you against um, businesses that have no carbon emissions, right? They're comparing you against your peers. Um, there are a number of ways to skin the cat per se, but in the end, I, I continue to highlight that interest from investors is going one way up, up and to the right. It's increasing. It's driven by more awareness, more accessibility to these investment products. It's driven by the millennials and the Gen Ys who are asking their mom and grandfathers who have the grandparents who have money. What do we, are we thinking about this? Uh, it's driven by young people who are creating wealth. This is all the fuel for up and to the right. Um, so the events of 2020 just provided a lot, literal jet fuel on, to, on, on top of a fire that was already burning. 
right? That's yeah, great point. Um, I'll just um, sort of bring us to to a, a conclusion here. Um, from from our perspective, uh, from my firm's perspective, um, and what we are seeing with our clients is absolutely um, what we've discussed here today. Um, that there is a recognition that business um, can be a force for good. We've obviously seen that in the past, um, but we expect more from businesses today. Um, and with the leaders that we have on the, on the panel today, um, and with all of you that are participating, whether you're new to your organization or have 10 or 15 or 30 or more years of experience, um, this is certainly our time to make our voices heard. Uh, and, and, and to affect the change that we wanna see. Um, I think about this, ex this example uh, from a few weeks ago um, of Netflix taking $100 million uh, from their corporate cash account and putting it in to black owned banks so they can lend to the community. And that's certainly one example uh, of, of a corporate action uh, that will be well received and very be very impactful. Um, but what I'll sort of end with is there is still more work to do from a corporate standpoint um, where we see inputs um, and the changes that we see uh, that organizations do from an input side to outcomes. Um, and what we want to see is better outcomes. Um, and so we'll hold the, uh, you know, these, 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 these businesses accountable, um, the shareholders, the communities, the employees, uh, now is our moment. Um, so thanks very much. And I uh, see Paula is back. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Anoush. Thank you, Gwen, Rose, Jonathan. This was really fantastic.